You're listening to Rabbits and Adel Kazilski. Shavua Tov to all my listeners out there. Hope everybody's well. Hope everybody had a fantastic Shabbat. We certainly did. And uh, we're back into the work week and um, hopefully not working too hard. Uh, but starting again up after, you know, energizing our batteries from the weekend. We are delving into the mystical texts of the book of Bereshit, the book of Genesis. And we, as always, are crawling pretty slowly um, along the thing because there is just so much that we can learn and we can say. And uh, today we're going to have a fascinating discussion. And I underline the word discussion because... I'd love to have it with you. So uh, we're going to be talking about the soul. Tell me out there, let's get a little bit of a consensus. Do you believe that there is such a thing as a soul? Do you believe that we are made up with something more than just our bodies? And if so, where do you think your soul resides? What do you think your soul does for you? And... uh where do you think your soul goes when you die? I was watching a fascinating um, YouTube just a little while ago of a group of five specialists um, in their field, different professors and um, um, academic people. Uh, one, I think, was a professor in neurobiology and another one in some fancy uh, uh, school of psychology, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they were debating the whole idea, is there life after death? And they were trying to give scientific evidence to it. And the way they were bringing it around was um, based on people who have had these NDEs, these near-death experiences. And um, they tried to see what the commonality between all of them was. And... Um, you know, coming to the conclusion that maybe life is bigger and greater than that which we perceive on a daily basis. So this today hopefully will provide a very interesting discussion. And yes, I'd love to hear your feedback. Our SMS number is 34519. And uh, we've moved over to Telegram, which is another form of WhatsApp. It's 061 895-1019. So SMS 34519 or 061-895-1019 if you wish to send a telegram. So let's get stuck into the verse that we are going to look at. And that is in chapter 2. We're on verse 7. And as explained last week, what happens in chapter 2 is that we actually take a step back and we go back into creation. Chapter 1 finished up until the end of Shabbat. But now we're going back into day 6. And we are going to unpack and understand a tremendous amount about the Garden of Eden and about Adam and about Eve and everything that surrounded them. We're going to get into the particular details. So last week we did chapter um, verse, sorry, verse five and verse six that really just spoke about the fact that um, there was nothing in the Garden of Eden, that the shrubs of the fields had not yet sprouted because Hashem had not brought rain and there was no man to work the ground. And then a mist came, rose up from the earth. It watered the entire face of the ground. And now here we are going to 
launch back again into the creation of man. So here is the verse. It goes as follows. Vayitzer Hashem Elokim et ha'adam afar min ha'adama. The Lord God formed man. How? Through dust from the ground. Vayipach ba'apav nishmat chayim. He blew into his nostrils a breath of life. Vayihi ha'adam lenefesh chaya. And man then became a living soul. So one sentence, God formed man from the dust of the ground. He blew into his nostrils a breath of life and man became a living soul. So now the question is, what is it that we can learn from here? And what is this telling? What is this telling us? There's just so much that it is telling us primarily about, about the soul. As always, I get a, an SMS, um, to learn Le'iloi Nishmas Yitzchak Ben Herschel. So may his Neshama have an aliyah. So let's, Understand, number one, when was Adam created? We know that he was created on the sixth day, but in terms of the calendar, the lunar solar calendar, where, where, when was he born? And we do follow the lunar calendar. So there are two opinions. Rabbi Yehoshua was of the opinion that the whole world was created in the month of Nisan. Um, that is the month of Pesach. That is the springtime. So accordingly, um, we understand it that, that Adam was born on the 6th of Nisan. Rabbi Eliezer, however, um, says, no, the world was not created in the month of Nisan, but was created in the month of Tishrei, because he maintains that the first day of Tishrei, which we're coming up to now, just a month and a few days away, um, is Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. And the head of the year, um, why do we call it the head of the year? Why is it Rosh Hashanah? It's Rosh Hashanah because man was created on that day. So what we do then is we work backwards and we say that creation actually then started on the 25th of Elul. So six days before that, um, or five days before that, God uh, started creating the world. And then on the first of Tishrei, that is the birthday of man. And the reason why we make Rosh Hashanah the birthday of man and not the birthday of the world, which is an interesting concept because most people think Rosh Hashanah is the new year, the, 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 the day that the world started getting created. It's not, is because man represents the epitome of creation. Because he was brought into it in Tishrei, it's appropriate then that we just say the world was created in Tishrei. How do we reconcile the differences? Well, they're not necessarily different. They're not at loggerheads with each other. We know that when we talk about the creation of man, there is also the nine months of pregnancy um, that takes place. And so many opinions go and say that both uh, Rabbi Yehoshua and Rabbi Eliezer um, are not at, you know, at, at, at loggerheads to each other because we had the idea of conception and of the idea as we have um, in, in pregnancy, we have conception and pregnancy and then birth. So, too, we have the conception of man, the pregnancy of man, that we did not see him yet, but he was being conceptualized, and then the birth of man in Tishrei. 
That's the first thing that now puts the, the, the creation of man in context of the year. Okay, we've had them in context of the day, but now of the year. One of the other interesting things is that God created everything through his word. And here we actually see that God created man through his hands. And uh, just after the break, we will get back and understand how did God actually, uh, how did he create man with his hands? What does that mean? You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back. And we're t- studying the mystical text. We're studying Genesis chapter 2. Verse 7, we're talking about the creation of man, that the Lord God formed man dust from the ground and he blew in to his nostrils a breath of life. Hence, man became a living soul. So just before we discuss the concept of the soul, which in and of itself is absolutely fascinating, I said just before the break that everything in this world was created through God's word. But man was created with his hands. Let's actually understand that a little bit more. God, we are told, gathered uh, earth from all corners of the world. And apparently this earth, according to the rabbis, has four colors. With green earth, we are told, God created man's inner organs. Blood was created from the red earth. White earth was used to create his bones and his sinews and his blood vessels, and the rest of his body was created from yellow earth. We're also taught, very interestingly, that Adam's head was created out of earth from the Holy Land. His torso was made up from earth taken from what was then known as Babylonia, today modern-day Iraq. His feet and his hands consisted of earth taken from the rest of the world. And then what God did was that he took water from everywhere and used it to need it, um, to need this earth, to need this body into a composite being. Now, the question is, why did, why does the Torah have to teach us that? What difference does it make to us from which corner of the earth we came from, what type of earth we were made from. So there's a very important reason um, that is given, and that is that when man dies, he's buried in the earth. Now, if, the Torah says, if he was created with earth from the east and then buried elsewhere, this earth would not accept him. Because he was created out of earth from all over, the earth will accept him like a son no matter where he dies. The Midrash goes on very interestingly and says, one of the interesting things is that while man was created out of earth, that earth was completely free of gold. Why? So that man should not have a desire for money. And that's why particularly this verse is saying that he was created afar min ha'adama, dust from the ground, meaning he was free from all other substances. So if we see, the Torah says, Now, a man who lusts for money, the situation would have been far worse if he was created with earth containing gold. But there's more to that, that we were created from the dust, which means that we were made from fine earth, not from hard stone. And that comes to teach us that man has to be humble and not proud. And if we remember always 
that we were created from dust, then we will have the middle, we will have the characteristic of humility. And we can see that this is pretty different. Our creation, therefore, is pretty too different to that of animals because the Torah doesn't say that animals were created from dust, and that's why we could see that they, they, they were highly aggressive. And the Torah concludes that, that animals, on the other hand, were created from hard, coarse earth for this reason, and that's why, as well, animals never lift their heads to look to the heavens, and they're unable to speak. If animals were created from fine earth, then they would be very much like man. So while we share the same physical characteristics as animals, both coming from the earth, one, the animals were created from um, the, 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 the coarse part of earth and therefore remain very coarse, very aggressive animals whose heads point downwards, who he, whose heads point back to their point of origin. Man, on the other hand, whilst we are created um, with fine earth, we have the ability to be humble. We were not created with any type of gold within us, which means lust for the material world and 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 all the possessions possessions that it has. And we also have the ability to gaze at the heavens because once one starts thinking about things greater than oneself, one starts thinking about. God's greatness, one starts thinking about that which is beyond what you see, what you get, we are able then to be far greater than any other creature. And also, we are told that Adam, where was he created? He was created uh, from the earth where the temple, the two temples that we had, that's in Jerusalem, the most contested uh, piece of real, uh, realty um, in the world, and the reason of one, <laughs> one of the many reasons that we've discussed it many times on air, um, is because this is where uh, the flow of all of creation happened. Now, one other interesting thing about Adam was that we are told that he was so great that he extended from one world to the other. And the Talmud goes and says, his height was the same as the distance from earth to the sky. And in other places, it says that he, he was as, 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 as long as the distance between east and west. And they go and say, well, the distance between the earth and the sky and the distance between east and west are the same. Bottom line, the sky was ginormous. Okay. But many of the commentators go and say that this Talmudic teaching is not about the fact that Adam was this super great, huge, ginormous man. He wasn't this huge giant like we would perceive it in a physical sense. When they're saying that he was so great that he could extend from east to west or from earth to heaven, whichever way you'd want to look at it, what it really was describing was Adam's prowess, intellectual prowess, Okay, he was able to reach out to any place in the universe and he was so great. His intelligence and his sensitivity to the world was so great that he understood everything in heaven and in earth and on earth. That's that's the enormity of this man called Adam. Now, one other question, how old was Adam when he was Created. I think I'm going to throw that out to 
you listeners out there, anybody know how old was Adam and for that matter Eve when they were created? We know that uh, they were not created as babies. They were created as mature human beings. So let's leave it out there. Let's see if anybody um, has any idea how old they were. You can SMS on 34519 or you can telegram on 61 895-1019. How old was Adam when and Eve when they were created? One other thing um, is that we, we are taught that, and there's two opinions, um, that Adam was circumcised when, when he was created. Um, others say that he wasn't and therefore he wasn't complete. Um, and one other interesting thing about Adam's creation is that we were told that he was an extremely handsome man. The uh, Midrash again goes and explains that his face shone like the highest of the seven firmaments and his radiance was like the light of creation, which shone from one end of the world to the other. So there you have it. This uh, gentleman, this young gentleman called Adam, other than me sharing his age, which I'm waiting for you to see if you can tell me how old, in fact, he was, was created from the fine of fine earth, from the dust of the earth to teach humility. And um, he also had an incredibly great intellect. He was very handsome and uh, he contained within himself everything that... Uh, that that was needed to, in a sense, represent the world. When was he created? At sunrise on the sixth day, and that day later became the Rosh Hashanah, the new year for the Jewish people. One last question that we can ask, and, and then we get into the crunchy part, which is the discussion about the soul, is that you know, God could have created man very, very quickly, could have created him in an instant, just like he did the rest of the world. But if you look into the Midrash, they actually said that it took six hours, in fact, just over five hours for him to be created. In the first hour on the, on sunrise of the sixth day, in the first hour, God just cre- just gathered the earth. It says, in the second hour, the earth was kneaded with water. In the third hour, his limbs were formed. In the fourth hour, a soul was breathed into him. And in the fifth hour, he stood on his feet. So the question is, why didn't God just do a very quick one-second creation as he did the rest of the world? And I'm not minimizing that one second of creation because we look around at the world and we see the tremendous beauty and complexity of this world. Um, But from God's terms, he could have done it much quicker. So the lesson here that we are told is the reason why God took so long um, was that he wanted to show the angels that he considered man uh, to be very important. And so he took his time in creating him. And this is a lesson that when a person is working on something very valuable, we know that that he analyzes and he studies it carefully before beginning his work task. So those those are the circumstances around the creation. Um, we're getting some SMSs in into guessing how old Adam 
was when he was created. I'm going to wait for a few more to come in again. How old was Adam and Eve when they were created? Three four five one nine is the SMS number. Oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Let's discuss the soul now, because the human soul is something that um, you know has a tremendous amount of discussion when you talk to people um, and you try to to talk depth. You try to talk about very real things, the soul has to come into play because we are told the following. And this is from Kohelet. This is from Ecclesiastics. If you'd like to look it up, it's in uh, chapter 3, verse 19. Ecclesiastics, the author being Solomon, King Solomon, King Shlomo, he said the following. Umotar ha'adam min ayin ki havel. Man's advantage over an animal is nothing, for everything is meaningless. And then, The only thing that is of any value is the pure soul, which is destined to present itself in judgment and reckoning before your throne of glory. So King Shlomo teaches us a very, very... um fundamental lesson, a fundamental belief that physically man is no different from an animal, just as an animal eats, an animal drinks, an animal pasts waste, so does man. The only thing that differentiates us uh, between an animal and a man is the fact that we have a soul. So there are many, many stories in the Gemara, in the Talmud, that talk about this soul. Um, Rabbi Yehuda once asked Rabbi Dostai, where is the soul located? So Rabbi Dostai replied that if a person strives to keep the Torah, he himself can be aware of the soul, because he'll meditate on God's great wonders and on the radiance of the sun and the moon each day, and if he truly believes that all this is directed by God and he understands that, it means that that is the proof that he has a soul. Because if you don't have a soul, says Rabbi Dostai to Rabbi Yehuda, you would not be able to meditate on these things. So there's one proof, okay, that we have an intellect, we have an ability to analyze things that animals don't have. Animals are very hardwired. They know where to come. They know where to go. They know how to eat. They know how to procreate. They know how to sleep. They know how to exist. And that's it. They don't sit there and, you know, have a lesson on philosophy. They don't go and ponder the mysteries of this world. They just do things in a robotic way. That is not the sign of the soul that man has. Man has an intellectual capacity. And that is um, how we know that we have a soul. The Talmud continues and says, Rabbi Azaria says, the soul, where is it located? It's located in the heart because that's the center of the body and it is able to enlighten all the parts and nourish all the limbs just like the heart does that. Or if we want to look macrocosmically, it is like the sun which is in the middle of the sky and it illuminates 
the entire world. So the body is sustained by the soul, which in turn receives its life force from God. Hasidus, the teaching of Hasidut, of the mystical teachings, teach us that the soul actually resides in the blood. And why in the blood? Because blood is the only, um, it's not an organ, but the only function in the human body that actually reaches each and every single cell in every single corner of our physical body. We know that if blood does not deliver its nourishment to any part of the body, that part of the body would die. And that, by the way, um, explains why Jews are very, very particular about blood on many levels. Number one, whilst we eat meat and chicken, we will not eat the blood because we believe that the soul resides in the blood of an animal as well. On a much lower level, they, they don't have a soul that is intellectual and has thinking capacity, but nevertheless, it's a life force. And um, by eating the blood of that meat or chicken, by, by ingesting it, we're actually ingesting the life force of the animal. And that is not something that um, Judaism wants us to ingest simply because we will take into ourselves and make part of ourselves the animal nature, uh, the animalistic nature of that 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 creature. So that is one one place where um we we recognize that the soul resides and that's why we're particular about, about blood. On another level, if God forbid there is a tragedy and there is an accident um of any sort whatsoever and the person passes away at the scene and there is a spillage of blood, um, you know very well, I guess, sadly, seeing from um, the many times we have witnessed the, the horror of the terror attacks in Israel or, from, God forbid, a very brutal accident or whatever it is, that um, we have a group of dedicated people who come in and scrape the blood off um, the floors, the trees, the cars, the buses, the anything where uh, the human blood has been spilt. Um, and all of that gets buried along with the, the person because that is part of the life force of the person and um, must be kept sacred just just uh, like we, 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 we pay homage and we, we, we look at the sacredness of the soul. Again, I'm reminding everybody that we are trying to work out how old Adam was. If you know the answer, please SMS on 34519, Telegram on 061-895-1019. You're listening to Robertson Adel Kazilski. Welcome back. So how old do you think Adam is? Come on, let's see what you guys think out there. SMS 34519. Don't be shy. Come on, it's just three. It's five numbers. Five little numbers on your phone. Take a guess. How old do you think that Adam was when he was created? We're going back to the soul and the discussion about the soul. So we are told, besides the fact that there was a little bit of argument of where the soul resides, um, I kind of like like the explanation about the soul being in the blood because it makes the most sense that it actually vivifies and gives us life um, everywhere. We are also told that 
there are two places in heaven. There is a place known in the, in, in the highest heaven, there's a place called Aravot. Okay, and that's where God placed all the souls that were destined to be born into our world. And then there is another place in heaven where all the souls that have already lived return back to their source. And in fact, when we say the Hashkava, which is the prayer for the dead, we petition to God that he places the soul where? Beginze Chaye Alma, in the treasury of eternal life. Basically, we are asking God to put the soul back into this specially reserved place because um, the person did good down here um, um, on earth. Now, when was the, when, when do we get our soul? Well, most hold that we get our soul at the time of conception. That, that is why Judaism is completely against abortion because we believe from the time that conception happens, um, the, that, that embryo gets a living soul which grows together with it. Um, and while the soul is in the embryo, um, and Growing into the baby that we would hold nine months later, it is told, it is taught the entire Torah. Um, and as said before, um, previously, when we are born, it says that a angel hits us on our top lip. That's why we've got that little indent and we forget the Torah. And then our, uh, task in this world is to try and Re-establish that connection with Torah and regain that knowledge we once had. One of the other interesting things is that we do have the concept that when um, a boy turns 13 or a girl is 12, they get in an extra dimension of the soul, meaning that until that point in time, um, the soul of a child is practically no different to um, other creatures, and this I'm sure parents can attest to, that we will uh, look at a kid and see the kid to be a selfish, tantrumizing, me, myself, and I person who just demands of this world, um, and we deal so to speak, with the animal part, animal soul, that part of the soul that is just very uh, physical, if you can use it. I guess the, the, the description isn't good because the soul isn't physical, but the soul that wants the material, materialistic things uh, part of, 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 of the world or desires them. And therefore we see kids to be very selfish, to wanting to fight, to wanting you know, the world to revolve around them. But when they turn bar or bat mitzvah, Okay, this is when um, they get the, uh, the, the their soul gets the, an extra soul or gets the the connectivity of the nefesh ha'elokis, um, the godly soul, and it is from there that then we say to them, "You are now a man. You are now a woman. You now have the intellectual capacity. You have the ability spiritually." to become a selfless human being, to learn to be of service to the world, to learn to be connected to things far greater than your physical surroundings. In fact, it says a story in the Talmud of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who once made a great feast for all the sages. And when they saw him so elated, they asked, hey, why the sudden happiness? It's not Shabbos. It's not a festival. Why are you so excited? 
So he replied as follows, My son became bar mitzvah today, and this brought me untold joy. I see now that he is worthy, and today he is about to receive a holy immortal soul. If a child does not go in a good way, then when he becomes 13 years old, he will not be worthy of such a gift. But I see now that my son um, is worthy and will grow up to be a worthy human being. So that is uh, particularly interesting um, with regard to 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 and the soul receiving a greater understanding, a greater appreciation, a greater sensitivity than um, it had when it was born. There's much still to be said uh, about the soul. And uh, one of the things that I'd like to leave you with today before we get to the answer of how old was Adam? Come on, you've got a couple more minutes, three, four, five, one, nine. Let's see who is getting the right answer. How old was Adam when he was born? I'd like to teach to you a very interesting idea in the Talmud where there was a discussion between the Emperor Antoninus um, and Rabbi Yehuda, um, the prince, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. It says that the Emperor Antoninus once asked Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, he said to him, it seems to me that both the body and the soul have a good defense to escape the guilt on the day of judgment. Why? So Antonina says to Rabbi Yehuda, if the soul leaves the body, the body remains like a stone, not moving from its place. The body then has a good defense because it will claim that every sin was committed by the soul. And now without the soul, the body can do nothing. On the other hand, if the, the, the soul also has a defense, because it can claim that as soon as it left the body, it flew to heaven. It had nothing more to do with the world of sin. And therefore, both of them can actually get out of the, get, 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 they take away the responsibility of, of, of doing anything wrong. So Rabbi Yehuda answered very, very uh, profoundly. He said, I'm going to answer you with a parable. Once there was a king who had a beautiful orchard yielding the rarest of fruits. And since he was concerned that they would be stolen, he appointed two guards to watch this orchard. One was blind and the other was disabled. He didn't have any feet. And the king thought, this is a great way to guard my orchard because none of them would be able to take the fruit. Nevertheless, we are told that the two of them were very tempted and they soon discovered a plan. The cripple climbed onto the shoulders of the blind man and the two were then able to pick the fruit and eat it. When the king discovered that the fruit was missing, he called the pair and he said to them, come on, whose fault is this? Who ate of my fruit? So the blind man defended himself and said, could I see the fruit? How could I pick it up? And the cripple replied to him, I have no feet. How could I reach the tree to steal the fruits? Well, the king wasn't that stupid, and he understood what they had done. He ordered the cripple to climb up on the blind man's shoulders, and he punished them together. And so Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi replies to Antoninus, the same is true of man's judgment. While man is still in the grave, God will return the soul to the body, and they will be punished together. 
You're listening to Roberts and Adol Kozilski. Indeed you are, and it seems that time has run with, run away with us um, on this very exciting topic, and I will continue about uh, discussions about the soul next week. Let's get people out of their suspense. We've got quite a few in. Thank you, Tabasile. You said 18 years of age. Shiloh, 15 years of age. Ruth, 30 years of age. The answer is in his 20s. They were in the early 20s. I have seen one um, source that say he was actually 25 years old. So that was that answer. Thank you for participating. That's how old Adam and Eve was um, at creation. Um, Tabasila, you ask another question. How can one love God with all their soul? That in itself is a profound question. Please remind me next week, send me an SMS. We are going to continue discussing discussing the soul and the various uh, levels of the soul and aspects of the soul next week. And uh, meantime, I want to wish you a soulful week, a, a week of meaning, a week where you realize that you are body and soul and that there is a higher calling to this world and everything we do in it. So have a fruitful week and uh, a wonderful um, upcoming Shabbat, it is Rosh Chodesh Elul, uh, the month before Rosh Hashanah, um, where we start saying extra Tehillim and start taking a, uh, a stock take of what we have accomplished. Um, we will talk about that more next week. In the meantime, have a wonderful day.